Hi, welcome to Design with Purpose, a show created by designers for anyone seeking guidance in the complex world of design. Hosted by myself, Dina Duffick, and my co-host, Colton Bryant. The goal of our show is to explore the ins and outs of interior design through personal experience, credible research, and professional guests. Here you will learn about the current trends and history behind certain design styles, as well as the psychology of well-designed spaces. Thanks for listening to Design with Purpose. Be sure to add us to your library and follow us on Instagram at designwith.purpose. Hey guys, this is Dina Duffick with Design with Purpose. Welcome back. We're so happy to have you here today. We're also happy to have with us today, Linda Murray. For those of you who don't know Linda, she's a leading interior designer in Los Angeles. Just a stone's throw away from those of us here in Laguna Beach. She's known for her clean lines and modern aesthetic. Her clients include A-lister CEOs, Hollywood executives, and music icons. Murray's powerful clients push her to think outside of the box, creating spaces that are uniquely their own. In her words, it's a collaboration where listening to clients is a key component in designing. We are so excited to have Linda here with us today. Please join our podcast or follow us on social media to keep the conversations going. Thanks, Linda, for being with us today. We appreciate your time. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. I've mentioned before when we've talked how much I admire your work. You have created uh, quite an awesome space for yourself in the interior design world. So we're super happy to have you on our show. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. Yay. Where did you get your creative spark? Can you trace the path or timeline that got you to where you are today? Gosh, honestly, I have been percolating this sort of creative thing that I have since I was very, very, very young. I know people always like, what do I want to be when I grow up and all of that. And I didn't know what interior design was or even that it was a job or anything like that. But at, at a very, very early age, I'm talking like seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, I was constantly asking my mom about things for my bedroom and can I have the walls this color and I want to go shop for my bed linens. And it was really important to me. At a very early age, I shared a room with my sister. We had twin beds with the middle, you know, separating us. And it was like, you know, the odd couple on my side was like, you could flip a quarter on my, on my bed and it would bounce. And my sister's was a disaster. Finally, we got our own rooms and my mom was so awesome and letting me kind of do my thing in my bedroom. And I also remember driving around LA in my, the backseat of my parents' car and being looking out the window and just looking at all the homes and like really desperately wanting to go inside these people's homes. Like I had this weird fascination with like how people lived. And when I became older, it, that never, it never changed. I moved my furniture around. I, I asked my parents to move their furniture around with living room and family room and stuff. I'm like, I don't know. It's like I was born like that. And not, neither of my parents are involved in interior design in any way, shape or form. It's very, very unique to me. And when I was 16, my mom let me, we had a person helping us with our house and she let me work with her to do my room. And at the time it was like very Laura Ashley, Pierre did whatever. But I realized at that point, that's a job. And so I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm going to do what this lady does. And that was it. I mean, the aha moment. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's an actual job. I'm not crazy. Yeah. I love like, that. Yeah. 
I mean, I never, I never wavered from it ever, 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 not for That's one so second. Great. I have to tell you a funny story. You just made me think of it. When I was a kid, it was the same way. And same thing. You could bounce a quarter off my bed. It was a joke. Like, <laughs> my stepdad jokes with my mom like what was it like growing up in the military with her <laughs> they say that you know what you're meant to do or kind of what your calling is by around the age of five and if you look back at what you're doing i was doing the same thing like designing and drawing and then same with the decoratives in my room i randomly the other just the other day putting something together for my mother's birthday came across a story that i wrote in the fourth grade it was my family story and i was supposed to write about my family right page by page i go through what everybody's room is like the bedding the dresser the walls i mean the brown dresser with the gold handles that's so funny I know. and i had i was like nine or ten when i wrote that. that's hilarious yeah, yeah that's i do come across people that are like i don't know what i want to do and i can't relate to that at all because i i don't know anything different really no, same. I think it's such a blessing and such a, a gift that we, those yeah. of us that know and have known from an early age. For so sure. I'm curious out of no, you know, your whole life, you've been a designer since it sounds like since. Yeah. yeah. What inspires you creatively today? I am super inspired by like great architects and architecture. I think I look to that first and then design furniture design and product that I'm able to find from all over the world. I think first and foremost, architects and architecture, and then getting inspired by designers that are unique and, and aren't like the cookie cutter, you know, trying to find things that haven't been done before is really a huge challenge and one that I, I love. So working with architects like Hoggy Bellsberg and Horst Knoppenberger and Paul McLean and Chad Oppenheim. I mean, I've worked with some really amazing architects and I, I love looking at their work and seeing the new things that they're doing and feel really blessed to get to work with guys like that. Yeah. And just furniture designers and stuff that I really admire, like Christian Lieg and a girl named Kimberly Denman. There's, there's a bunch of Philip Jeffries. There's a bunch of people that do really amazing creative things that help me sort of creatively build the houses that we build and pull them together. So yeah, I would, I would say that. No, that's great. We love Paul and Horace. We're going to aim to have them on the show as well. So oh, cool. yes, you have definitely worked with some really top-notch architects. And I think that's really impressive. The spaces that you've worked in have been just overwhelming and just really impressive. So, you know, Thank you. I appreciate that coming from a fellow peer and designer. That's very huge compliment. So I appreciate it. I don't take that lightly. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you, thank you. And we don't give them out like, we don't give them out like just anyone else. What is your favorite part of working with high-end luxury design? You know, the inspiration that you just mentioned and working with that caliber of, of architects and other designers is impressive. What's your favorite part of, there's so many moving parts to the design. Yeah that most people don't know about. So yeah. in the underbelly of the design world, what's your favorite part of that? I think that, you know, design in general, whether it's a, a condo or an apartment or, you know, the homes that we do that are super big and whatever, for me, being at this level, meaning the financial side of it, you know, working for people that are super high net worth, it's exciting because you get to 
like I said earlier, you get to shop the whole world and you get to think outside the box. And this clientele that I work for really demand that you think outside the box and bring it every single time in every element of the house. They don't want what everybody else has. So they hire someone like my firm and my team is really happy. We have our finger on, on the cutting edge of everything, you know, from AV to stone and millwork and all of that. Even like as far as appliances, interior, exterior and whatnot, like they want us, they can afford anything in the world and they expect you to know what the latest, greatest of everything is. And so we get to, I don't want to use the word experiment, but sort of, you know, like creating things that come from nowhere, you know, and, and build it and engineer it and all of that. We have the luxury to be able to work with the best of the best in the world to create our designs and build our designs, which, you know, I say all the time, it's one thing to like be able to draw something really amazing, which we do. We render and do 3D models and stuff, but you have to know how to actually build it and make it function. And so working in this arena allows us the privilege of being able to hire the best of the best in every field to bring our, our designs to life. And I think that's just like a very rare pr privilege when you're an interior designer, because sometimes there's crazy tight budgets and you don't get to just be creative and, you know, draw something amazing. It doesn't get built because of financial restraints. So on that level, it's like, I'm, I'm very fortunate and blessed and happy that I get to, you know, be as creative as I can possibly be. Like they really push me to like think outside the box, which challenges me. So I would say that is my, my favorite part of, of doing the level of design that we were able to do. That's great. It's interesting to hear that you still have to work with tight budgets as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised. You know, it's like some jobs are like free for all, just make it happen and whatever it costs, it costs. And other, other jobs are like, this is the budget and don't go over it. And you still need to think outside the box and bring me the best of whatever you can bring, but at this number. So yeah, we, yeah. we have a little both, you know. We just did one. It was a high-end job, luxury, really nice, but it was, you know, we had to be budget-minded and thoughtful. And I think kind of to your point before, clients expect that from you. I think expecting not only current trends and knowing what is what within the business, but also expecting you to be respectful and mindful of their resources. Is Absolutely. That's why they're hiring you. you it's know? not a joke. Like, you know, even if the budget is whatever, seven figures, which they usually are because these homes we do are very large, but like you better stick to the budget, you know, and we have meetings every week and we're dealing with big time business managers and stuff. And so there's no rounding errors at all. It has to be on point every time. Yeah. So working in the interior design world, you have so many like Dina said, moving parts. So how do you keep all of your ideas organized? Do you have like a journal or a notebook or anything like that? Yeah, I do have a journal. So we have, I have a, a team of people that I work with that we, mm -hmm. and we meet every week. But my own personal journal is for business. It's not mm -hmm. like my journal journal. And I have a coach. I actually work with a, a business coach. Oh, wow. He's amazing. He sort of coaches me on how to run, run my business and how to run my team and sort of organize my career on mm -hmm. every level. And then my team, we, we meet every week and we go over every our slate of projects and every detail of every project that's happening each week. If we didn't do that, it would be definitely a mess. We have about 16 projects going at any given time. So like there's projects 
managers assigned to each project and and as we go down our list of projects we literally meet about it the whole yeah. team so even if it's not you're not the lead on the project the support if someone takes a vacation or is sick or whatever there's no one person that doesn't know what's happening at all times on every project yeah so, it's all about it's all about having a strong team yeah i mean the team is everything like i couldn't yeah. do anything that i'm doing without a really good team for sure yeah. so how do you actively learn while taking on so many projects like i mean i learn something every single day like like mm -hmm. i had said earlier working with the artisans and the contractors that we're working with if we design something for example we're we're working on an amazing spa in uh, Malibu and it, inside a home and mm -hmm. the client is really really pushing us to in a loving way to really bring it and so mm -hmm. we're contacting like the best spa builders in the world and they're teaching us about infrared just anything that goes into a spa so mm -hmm. I'm not a spa expert I know how to design a spa but I, I'm not an expert on all the equipment and everything that goes into building a spa so we learn AV, movie theaters, all of that stuff, like for the house, we learn mm -hmm. stuff every single day because like there's always new technology and right. you know, those vendors actually are educating us and they come to our office and they do presentations all the time showing us what the latest greatest is. And so we're able to then tell our clients, look at this, look at that, look what we're able to do. And so yeah, it's like a learning experience. Literally almost every day we go to job sites and the contractors, even the subs and whatnot on the job sites with stone and tile and how to install things and different ways, ways to do things. So I hope I never stop learning. I'm curious how you've grown your business from where it was or just, just an idea to where it is today. And then maybe more about how your coach has helped you when you brought in a business coach. Yeah. So honestly, like when I started, I've had my company, I'm on my 25th year. Wow. And it's one of those things that's truly word of mouth. Like in the beginning, I didn't even have a website. I didn't have business cards. I didn't have, I had a business license. I went and got that. And, and the first thing I did, which I, which I highly recommend to anyone that's starting a business, no matter what the business is. But specifically for me with interior design, I was smart enough to know what I didn't know. Right. And running numbers and taxes and sales tax and all of that is a really tricky thing. And back when I started, I, it was just me. And I hired a part-time bookkeeper. I could not afford to hire an assistant or anything. I was running samples and doing everything myself. So when I, now, you know, there's nine of us now and I, I always tell everybody, I know how to do every one of these jobs. Exactly. Just know that first and foremost. I say know? the same thing around here. I'm like, I have yeah. done every single job yeah. here. Forward and backwards, you know? Yes. So I know what it takes to do everything, but I was smart enough to hire a bookkeeper because I think that keeping the books clean and straight is first and foremost, so important, you know, paying your bills on time, paying your taxes, keeping that stuff straight is imperative. So I started just by myself and, and got some really nice clients very early on. And I think that me personally, you know, I, I, I was blessed. I was born and raised in LA and I, I landed some sort of high profile clients really early on, which doesn't always happen, but, and I worked for free. 
practically for free. I, I broke even, but I took a couple clients like mini driver is one that I worked for very, very early on. And she just came off of goodwill hunting. And I was like, I'll, I'll work for you for practically nothing. And I'm going to use your name, you know, like I'm going to run around town saying I'm working for mini driver or whatever. Cause it matters, you know, it's like those kind of high profile clients matter as far as perception goes, I could have done a really crappy job, but no one asks that. They're like, oh, she's working for Mini Driver. She must be good. Exactly. So I got really lucky in that respect, but I also worked my butt off. You know, I, I worked, I hustled and my, I kind of got like a couple of name people and then they kind of pass you off to their friends and agents and other, you know, sort of movie people. And then kind of just built from there. You know, I then realized, okay, I need a website. I need business cards. I need to like create a logo and all of that. And sign it kind of just happens gradually. And interior design, it's it's interesting. It's the one thing where people your calling card is people's homes. Mm-hmm. So if you have sort of high profile clients, not they don't have to be movie stars or whatever, but just people that have other high profile people show up to their home and like, who did this? Yes, exactly. Murray, and then they would. I would get phone calls, just random phone calls, all the time, and it just grew like that. That's great. I love it. I love to hear stories and people's backstories of how they got started. That's really inspiring. You know, Colton had asked you one of the things that's really important about interior design is staying organized and how you stay organized. I also think one of the the key components to being a really good designer is being a good listener. And I even joke with clients and go, oh, you know, we double as designers and marriage and family therapists. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. That's number one. To me, that's number one. Like that is my, when I going to interview with a, with a client, I have an all girl team, but I tell every one of the women that works for me, I'm like, listen, just don't talk. Listen, that's like, you know, people like to hear themselves talk and people, you know, interrupt and whatever. And I really practice listening. And I tell my clients at every meeting, I'm like, this is your house. I need to know how you're going to use it. And I need you to educate me on what your dreams are so that I can then build the house for you. And there's no way I can do that by talking, talking, talking like they, I need to hear and listen. And when you listen, you'll hear little nuggets of things like the wife might say, I really hate this, or I really hate that. My, I, you know, I'm writing it down. My team, whoever's with me is writing it down and taking these notes so that we don't then go and do something that we clearly heard them say they didn't like or didn't want, you know, because you waste so much time. So you have to listen. Like, I think this job is 90% listening. Exactly. At this point, we know what we're doing, you know, like they're hiring me. They, They know I know how to do build a house or design it. Now I need to hear what they actually want. So that's like the best advice anyone could give anyone is just listen. I agree. I have a a friend, a colleague, another architect in the business, and he always says, people aren't hiring me for my technical skills. They're hiring me for my expertise. And I think part of that expertise is knowing when to pull back and just listen. And if you listen, they tell you what they want. And they also tell you what they don't want. They tell you what the problems are. They tell you what the budget is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing that you just said is true. It's like they tell you what they don't want. They may not know what they want, but they know what they don't want. That's always the case. They may have no clue what they want and I can sort of, it's their ship and I'm sort of the captain driving it. You'll always hear what they don't want. 
that I think people are really clear about what they don't want, what they don't like, what they're not interested in. But, you know, I can help them if I'm listening to what they don't want, help them figure out what it is that they do want. It's almost like working like a translator, right? <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. And a therapist. That's also very true. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm curious, because for me, listening is such an, a huge part of it. And when you walk into a space, of course, you're listening to what the clients want. But where do you stand when you walk into a space or if you look at plans, if it's a, play, a space that doesn't exist? I mean, I, I'm a feeler. I, I feel energy. And I feel like that's a big part of also what makes a good designer. Are you connected to your design work in that way? Because there, there's other designers that don't design that way. So there's technical drawings. And of course, we can all do that. Like you said, we can, we've proven that we can build a house at this stage in our career. But how connected are, are you to your clients? And not just what you're hearing from them, but also what you're feeling, engaging, and feeling the energy, I guess, is what I'm, I'm asking. That touches on something that's really specific to me and personal to me. It's like, yeah, if I'm not feeling it, I can't work for the people. Like, right. And if I'm not feeling the whole vibe of the whole thing, I've passed on a lot of projects just because it just doesn't, I'm not the one for them. And it's like the whole thing doesn't feel right to me. So feeling the client is first and foremost that's how I take my jobs. I take my jobs based on the architect, the client and the contractor. Like I need that sort of trifecta. If the client is amazing, but the architecture is terrible and the contractor is not someone that I trust, like I'm going to pass yeah. um, or I'm going to like try to switch it up somehow and, and make it work, but with a different team. Yeah. Like if the contractor is terrible, it's a miserable job for me. So I'm really a stickler when it comes to feeling the whole sort of vibe of that trifecta that I'm talking about. You know, it's like, it really matters. We're, we're on these projects for four years, yeah. three years minimum, you know, if it's built from the ground up, 95% of the stuff we do is built from the ground up. So it starts on the paper. It's really about the team and feeling like you want to be in business with these people for the, or married to these people for the next mm -hmm. three or four years, you know, and is it going to be a nice experience? Are they good people? Does the house make sense for my company and my team and my look and all of that? Like it's a whole process before we actually sign a contract with people. Back in the day, I, that would be not possible. I don't, you know, it was like whatever came my way I was taking, obviously, you know, like I couldn't be, picking and choosing whoever the, the team is. I'm like, I'm, I'm in. And I think that it's important not to get lost on what I just said, because, you know, it's not realistic when you're starting out. It's not realistic at all. If someone needed a sofa, I was your girl. I don't, right. I didn't, like, you need, you need me to do your bathroom. You need new toilets. I don't care. I'm your girl. You don't say no to anything. And I'm not above doing those things. It's just that I'm at, I'm at a stage in my life where I've been down that road and been on jobs that were torturous and miserable and miserable for my team. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. You know, I'd rather, you know, not take the money and wait for the next one to come. Yeah. And I think that's something to, important to note because we all have to pay our dues. And for those of yeah. us that have been in the business for 25 plus years, you know, yes, I was your girl too, schlepping, yeah. doing whatever, yeah. you know, whatever yeah. you wanted. And it's still, I think that's what got us or gets you to where you're going too, because you have to have an incredibly strong work ethic to be in this business and you have to have thick skin to be in this business. Yes. I think if you're willing to do that, that shows how strong your work ethic is. 
and that you were able to get this far. And you're right, it's not handed to you. You work very hard no, to get there. It's not handed to you. Right. Yes, I mean, I still make beds. I still am there on the installations and working, make, putting the fitted sheet on the bed and doing everything. And I'm in the service industry. It's like, let's not get it twisted. I'm in the service industry. I am a service provider. So, you know, I try to do that at the highest level possible and I'm available to my clients. And I, you know, with my coach, I've now, I've learned to have boundaries and try not to work on Sunday and not let people call me at midnight and answer the phone or answer the text or, you know, I've definitely, even with my team, they're like, you have to have boundaries because if I don't have boundaries, I'm not having boundaries for my, for my team members, you know? So mm-hmm. I've had to, that sort of workaholic, you know, mellow out a little bit and yes, I'm in the service industry, but it's not, you're not hiring me for 24 seven. Whereas before it was like 24 seven, I'd hop on a plane and I travel all over the world and I'm like, I'm available. I can go there. I can do it. I've been to Portugal twice for like 48 hours, you know, like there and back and did my job and came right back. I think so, I need coach's phone number. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like things are going to fall apart if I'm gone that extra day. So I can actually, I've been to Europe so many times with such a quick turnaround that I don't even have jet lag because I'm not there long enough to even have jet lag, you know, which isn't necessarily good, but it, you know, working for the billionaires and multimillionaires that we work for, they kind of expect that. And you kind of have to be willing and able to sort of, provide that level of service when it's needed. Now there are boundaries and it doesn't need to be so extreme. Like I just said, but again, people with that net worth like that, you know, they're, she's available, she'll do it. She's amazing. And then they tell their friends and, you know, and I need to hire more people and whatnot. So it's like, that's kind of how your business sort of grows. Like you don't say no. And then you get to a point where you can say no, you know, but it takes time. It's been 25 years, you know, 25 long years. What do you think, aside from the clearly setting boundaries in this business is such a big deal? What else have you had to overcome to be here or to be in this at, at kind of at the top of your game? So much. I mean, I've had everything that you can imagine happen, <laughs> everything from really super abusive clients to the turn the recession in 2008 where it's like I had no employees it was just back to me you know the phone not ringing I had a couple jobs that kept my doors open back in 2008 2009 I've overcome being totally abused by clients that are so wealthy that like if for, if for me to actually fight them could have put me out of business just for their pleasure you know they're so wealthy that you can't like speak up um and i wasn't in a position to speak up you know very litigious and just being abused you know i would say being verbally abused by some clients in my past and not my not so far past that you have to learn how, you know, the thick skin and try not to take things personally. You know, it's not you, you're doing your job, you're, you've got a really good track record and you work your tush off and you're doing everything right, but it's still never enough. It's those types of situations that kind of make you grow, even though it's so hard and you don't think you're going to come through it. I, I had a particular client in Orange County, actually, and they will go nameless, nameless, but really the worst job of my whole career. Wow. 
huge, massive job, but very abusive couple. And honestly, like what came from that was that will never happen to me again because I learned so much and what the mistakes I made and the things I didn't speak up about and, and whatnot. Everything that's hard, you don't appreciate the good things if you haven't had some hard things to remind you, you know, and I think that in this business, in the service industry and dealing with people's homes, it's super personal. So they get kind of crazy sometimes when it's their house and we need it now. And we, you know, this doesn't look right. It's not what I expected and whatever, you know, they'll torture you and call you seven days a week, all day long, all night long. And I think it, it makes people behave a little crazy sometimes because it's their home. And sometimes for us in the business, because exactly what you said, we're in the service business. So we're always putting that, that's always in the forefront of our mind. So you accommodate, accommodate, accommodate. It's almost like being in an abusive uh, personal relationship because you realize, oh my gosh, like we've gone so far down the road. This is turned into something completely inappropriate. Just I was trying to be of service and now they think that this behavior is okay. Yeah. And so, and it's not okay. And yeah, that, that one stands out for me the most besides the recession is just working for people that because you're in the service industry and they're paying you a fee, they then own you sort of. Do you remember the first time, because I think it also ties into what we were talking about before you had mentioned, you know, you used to take every job. I'll just take it, take it, take it because, you know, we're trying to build a business and you, you know, we want to eat. And we feel fortunate to be in a business where we're creatives and not all creatives know how to make a living in a business, you know? So, but do you remember the first time you fired a client and oh, yeah. what that feeling was like? Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sweet freedom. Yeah. It doesn't happen often. No. Um, I count on one hand how often it's happened, but yeah, it's like that feeling of I'm not doing this. You do not get to treat me this way. You need me. I do not need you. I will rather work at McDonald's than right take this kind of abuse and yeah i'm like lose my number we're done yeah and they always almost i would say four out of the five called me and please come back kind of thing and it's like there's no amount of money no amount of money that could get me back and it's a great feeling yeah Mm. it's a great feeling it's not fun don't get me wrong it's not like oh i'm I'm going to fire these people. It's a bummer because you want to finish the job and you want to, I just recently quit a job a couple months ago, huge job that I was on for a really long time. And I finally had enough. I had enough and I'm like, we're done. I got all my stuff, got all my gear, told his business manager, don't tell him he's never to call me again. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. That's how hard It is hard. I mean, because we, I'll speak for myself. I mean, as designers, we get attached to these projects. I yeah. want to see the baby come to life, you know? Mm-hmm. I want I've, to see the years. more than you, they would ever know. I want the success of this project. I hung on and hung on and hung on. And it's been four, it was four years. And I walked away. And once I did, my team was thrilled. I'm like, something better will come. You know, we're at the final stages of this project, by the way, built from the ground up, big, huge 30,000 plus square foot house. And I walked away and it was such a hard decision, but I knew 
I was not being treated correctly. And my team, I knew they were going to be tortured this last phase of the project. So along with me being tortured, I, I finally made it. Once I made the decision, I was so happy and I felt like a weight lifted off of me. And I don't care, you know, like I'm, I'm so thrilled to be. And, and every day that went by, I was like, oh, thank God. You know, I'm so happy to be off that project. So, Good yeah. for you. And something always better, if something better than yeah. that comes along and it's not worth the stress. I'm sure you're coached. <laughs> it's not worth the stress that trickles no. down to your team. No, no, absolutely not. What is your biggest challenge right now? Hiring. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah that's it. Like yeah. we're looking for, for people that can step right in, hoping to get someone from another firm that may be unhappy where they're at that wants the opportunity to work at a firm like mine. I believe we have a really great place to work. We, we offer, I match the 401k and we pay really well in insurance, health insurance. And, you know, I kind of run it like a corporate, like a large corporation, but we're a tiny little small business, but I run it very corporate in the sense that like that side of it, the financial side of it, they're paid really well. The benefits are really great. The office atmosphere is really great. We have a full kitchen and I stock it with all the yummy stuff to keep everyone happy. And I do all the vacations and all of that stuff is like very corporate, you know, like everyone's treated really, really well because I feel like I'm only as good as my team, you know? So the girls that have worked for me have worked for me for years. And so finding new people to fit into that and be at that level is is not easy. So it's a challenge. No, I feel the same way. I, we run our company the same way. And it was interesting when you said straight away, the first person I hired was the accountant. I did too. <laughs> it's huge because especially yeah. there's a lot of moving parts with regard to financials in this yeah. business in particular. And I do the same thing. I had a, a hiatus where I went and worked in corporate America for a while and did some design work for huge corporate companies. And I learned a lot from that. I learned the good, the bad, the ugly, the things I don't want my company to look like, but also the things that I do. And I think having structure and keeping the company feeling really solid and organized and creating a nice, safe space for the team is really, really important. I mean, I basically want to have this company be a place that I would want to work if I was. Right. You know what I mean? Like, how do I want to be treated? How do I want my office atmosphere to be? Like, what kind of atmosphere do I want to be in if I was a young interior designer? And so that's pretty much what I feel I've created. And it shows because the, the people that have worked here have worked here for many years. Exactly. You know, eight, the proof is you know. in the pudding. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Good for you. What keeps you up at night? Oh, my gosh. So many things. Or should I say what doesn't keep you up? Yeah. Like, what? So many things. I'm, I'm definitely the kind of person that like, especially like during installation time, that's probably the, the time when I'm most wide awake is like, mm-hmm. is everything going to look the way I anticipated it was going to look and fit the way I think it's supposed to fit and mm-hmm. what problems are going to arise, what's going to come broken, you know, the installation phase, the construction phase doesn't generally keep me up because everything, you know, as it's being done, you're seeing it and you can fix things as they are right. happening. But like when you're ordering furniture, we double because we're, we spend a fortune on furniture and I mean, $40,000 sofas and mm-hmm. light fixtures that are $300,000, just crazy numbers. And it's like, if you make a mistake, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's going to be on me. 
It's not like putting your, uh, buying a thousand dollar light fixture. Like, oh, if it doesn't work out, I'll throw it in the warehouse. That's not on the, that's not on the agenda for sure. Like it's, <laughs> you got to get it right the first time. So we double and triple check everything. And Allison Berger is a very dear friend of mine. And she, we just commissioned her to do a light fixture at this job in Newport and several hundred thousand dollars. And it's like, I made her come out there. I'm like, you need to drive your butt out there and make sure that it's, you've seen the staircase and you see exactly how it's supposed to be. And she's so awesome. And so I love her so much. Um, she's someone that I really admire that the creative, like she's creating light pictures that, that you don't see anywhere else in the world. It's so amazing. So she came out because that's like, we cannot make a mistake on something like that. Yeah. Like yeah. it's custom doesn't exist in the world and it's being built for that particular staircase. So. And I'm standing up at night thinking about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to stay awake thinking about that. So those are the kind of things that keep me awake just, and try and find help, you know, to add to the team. Yeah. Those, those things are the things that keep me up, but nothing super serious. Good for you. Yeah. That, that coach is paying off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Along those lines, and maybe it was this Orange County client you mentioned, but what would you consider your biggest failure or worst moment in your career? As far as failure goes, I mean, I feel like, you know, I've made so many mistakes, you know, like purchasing things that weren't right or measuring something that wasn't right. You know, those aren't really failures, but they are, you know, those, those mistakes. But like you learn, I never make the same mistake twice. Right. That's for sure. But I think saying I've had a failure, I, I don't, I really don't think that of anything as a failure. I think of all of those things as learning lessons that I learn and grow from. But the hardest thing definitely was that particular Orange County client that, that really um, broke my spirit there for a minute. I was thinking, do I really want to do this job? Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? Like, why am I you know, doing this, it's not so ungratifying and painful. But at the end of the day, you know, even that person taught me my worth and that I do love what I do and it wasn't me. And as painful as it was, you still grow, you know. So I don't really like to think of anything as an actual failure, but painful process, yeah, that that would be that would be my thorn in my whole career, like having crossed paths with somebody like that. Yeah, that's good advice, though. I mean, it's it really I think especially in this business, it really is hard to look at anything as a failure. Yeah, you have to be so adaptable. Of course, we make mistakes. I mean, yeah, if you think of all of the details that we're managing on the daily, it's a lot. And especially for young designers starting out, there's there's so much. I mean, of course, you're going to make mistakes with measuring or, you know, still make mistakes. of course, of course, you know, like I'm like thinking I, sh- I wish that I paid more attention to that. I wish that I, you know, we're human. Like you said, there's so many moving parts and there's, you know, you could be off by a quarter of an inch and the thing doesn't work. Exactly. Like, I tell people in, in our world, an inch might as well be 10 feet. Exactly. You know? exactly. If, if it's off, it's off. So there's a lot of moving parts and it's a really hard job, but it's also really gratifying when you walk away and the clients are like sleeping in their nicely made bed and they're so stoked and they're like, this is everything that I wanted and more and it's better than I ever dreamt. And, you know, 
to me, that's, that's worth its weight in gold. So I yeah. love that. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier how um, your hardest problem is hiring new people. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you're looking for younger interior designers. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give them if they were uh, wanting to be hired by you or whatnot? Well, there's a few things. I think first and foremost, education, you know, I think mm-hmm. that's really important. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to have a degree to be interior decorator, but to be an interior designer and to work at a firm like mine, you definitely have to have a degree. You mm-hmm. definitely, you know, higher education is even better, you know, getting a master's and into a lot of the girls that work for me have master's in interior design and master's in architecture. If you're going to work on these multi-million dollar projects, we need you to have those technical skills. That's really important. You cannot work here and not have the technical skills with AutoCAD and SketchUp Pro and ArchiCAD and right. Artlandis, whatever, you know, you have to have, know the programs. Cause mm-hmm. like I said, we build from the ground up. So we do a lot of interior architecture. So education is one. And the other thing that I would love to impart on young people is not to go jump around from job to job. I get resumes every day. And mm-hmm. the ones that I don't pay attention to are the ones that have worked here for two months or there for four months. Like I really frown upon that. Yeah. It just shows me that they don't have staying power. And I think it's a mistake a lot of younger people make. Like if they're not happy, I mean, look, don't say at a job that you're being abused at. Right, don't say right. a job that's miserable or, you know, but if the job is just hard and yeah. you're learning, stick it out, you know, like a, a minimum a year. I like to look for two year, you know, if you're moving after two years, it's, it's maybe they're not, the employer's not seeing your worth and not moving you up or paying you what you deserve. Yeah, they might not even okay. have the benefits that you have. Yeah, to. yeah, of course, you know, mm-hmm. but job hopping is never good. Never, never, never. And I'm yeah. curious, what, along the same lines, looking back, say 25 years ago, what advice would you give young Linda starting out? What would Gosh. You differently back then? Yeah. I would definitely say that everything's going to work out and don't that expression don't sweat the small stuff like that you're going to be okay no matter what you're going to be okay because if you work hard and you are honest and have good intentions you're going to be okay no matter what but what would I do differently gosh I'm not sure what I would do differently. You know, I kind of feel like I'm here for the right reasons. And, you know, like I said, I'm the first to say I've made a million mistakes. I can't even, it's it's countless how many mistakes I've made. But again, those mistakes kind of get you back on track. If you don't make the same mistake twice, you know, you kind of learn and grow and learn and grow. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I I think I would just tell my, my younger self not to stress so much. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you worry a lot about the future when you shouldn't, you know, like take every day, live in the moment and be grateful for everything you have. Don't ever become complacent. I did. Be, I, I will say I became complacent. There was a period where I was like feeling myself a little too much <laughs> and I got a little dose of humble pie mm-hmm. and spending money and, you know, yes, I'll take it. And, and then the crash of the recession hit and I was like, oh. You know, like I was definitely complacent and spending money I shouldn't have and driving nice car, you know, whatever I was doing. And I wasn't prepared for the recession at all. So thank God I didn't lose my house. Thank God I, you know, it never got to the point where I was like having to sell stuff off, but it was close. Right. It was close. 
now that I think about it, that's what I would do differently. I would not become complacent no matter what, even. And so, you know, interestingly enough, I still feel like so grateful and save my money and don't overspend and don't spend money. I don't have. And that feeling of like, I'm the bomb, you know, cause I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. There's plenty of people that are better than me at this job and will get that client before me, you know? So I, that's great advice. I think staying humble is really important. I love to tell you a funny story. When I finished a huge job and I, one of the bonus, one of the bonuses of this job was that somebody gave me a Porsche. It was a convertible Porsche. And I was feeling myself in that Porsche. It was like the nicest car I'd ever had. The roof is down and I'm driving down. I think it was the first day I'd driven it. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is what it's about. And then a bird shit on my head. It's like, <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. Okay, that is the sign. I need to stop feeling myself quite so much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful that it happened, you know, that I was given such a large helping of humble pie back then in 2009. Right. So that it made me change my financial. I paid my house off. I, I did a bunch of stuff and set myself up so that never happens again where I'm like, really down to my last thousand dollars or whatever. Good for you. So important. And so well, important. and then here it shows up again with COVID. Yeah. So yeah. You know, you're prepared. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, COVID schmovid. I'm fine. <laughs> I was like, it, it sucked. Don't get me wrong. But I wasn't in the same position because I set myself up to not be in that position. So. Right. So what motivates you to get up in the morning? I think that like just loving my projects and loving my clients, I'm in such a happy place right now and feel like I've really sort of chosen really great, well, the clients have chosen me and, and I've sort of chosen them as well. Like we have such great projects and such great jobs going on right now. So it's like, I love like what the day is going to bring and who I get to see and my there's not a single client on my roster that I'm unhappy with and that I don't want to be around. So it's, it's just fun. Like we're working on some amazing, amazing things. So it's, it's fun. I still love what I do a lot. Oh, great. I'm curious when you work at the level that you work at and you, I know I have to get up super early and you keep, what's the first thing you do when you get out of bed in the morning? I sadly check my emails. (laughs) (laughs) You're not having the meditation moment. You're not having no, it's no. <laughs> no. I check my emails. You know, I will tell you, my coach has told me to stay off of all. I have a personal Instagram account, but I have a which has like just a few hundred followers. But I have my my business Instagram account that I don't have anything to do with it. But he has told me that he tells all of his clients and me included, stay off all of social media Monday through Friday. Don't look at it. Don't touch it. Don't engage in it. Because you, you realize that you're like, you get an extra like two hours a day over the course of the day of not going on social media, like 10 minutes here, 12 minutes, whatever. And I didn't realize how much I was looking at my social media Mm -hmm. um, until I stopped. Mm -hmm. So that was really good advice. Normally in the morning I would look at my emails and I'd look at Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And so I stopped doing that. I, I do look at my emails just to see what fire I need to put out. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that's great advice. I We also have somebody that does our Instagram account for us and all of that. You don't realize, I, I think, especially the younger designers coming up, how time consuming that is. Oh my gosh. That's a full time. That's why I hired somebody to do it. It's a full time yeah. job. I don't, it's and, job. and it's not in my wheelhouse or skill set to be it's doing. It's not in my wheelhouse. I don't know how to work it. I don't know how to do Insta yeah. stories or whatever, but we have, we, we do it in house. One of the people here that works here, the younger one, she manages the Instagram account. So it's done in house, but yeah, it's a pain in the neck. And I, I'm not, savvy to the whole thing but yeah. you need to have it i've gotten two jobs off of instagram yeah it's interesting it's how that yeah. works you definitely yeah. have, to have, you have to have it so you know last time that you and i talked you had mentioned having a passion for giving back and being of service to others in particular helping children i'd love it if you could elaborate a little bit more on what linda murray incorporated does in your spare time <laughs> and know how you give back and how that's incorporated into your business we support a charity called the harold robinson foundation they've been around for a long time we take inner city kids to camp summer camp camp ubuntu which is near lake Castake. so kids from south central and you know the crenshaw area all of those sort of 20 miles south of here we send them to summer camp for free so they go spend three or four days at this amazing place that has football and swimming pool and tennis and a sort of an obstacle course and stuff where they get to spend, you know, have three hot meals a day and play and with other kids and be in grass, which they, they just don't have where they're living in sort of a concrete jungle, just 20 miles from here where I'm sitting helicopters every night. So they go out there and they're like, can't sleep because they can't handle the quiet. You know, it's really interesting. And we also, as a, as a team, will go down to South Central. We painted the schools and gardened and, you know, kind of did a mulching whole thing for them. And whatever they ask us to do, we do. There's a charity we spin for kids that spin 100 miles and we collect money. So we, my company alone has donated hundreds of thousands of dollars from getting donations and me personally donating every year. So that's really, really gratifying. And another thing that my company does, we got this from Philip Barshad, from Philip Jeffries. He lets his employees take a day and do a charity of their choice. And I pay them for it. Like they're, they can go donate their time at a convalescent home or, or at a, whatever, whatever charity my employees feel connected to. So we implemented that as well so that I you know, let them give back to it. Because the Harold Robinson Foundation is something I'm passionate about. They are too, but it's not their personal charity. Sure. So I've implemented this thing that Philip told me about, which allows them to go do a charity of their choice and I pay them for their time to go. That's to wonderful. Go do that. That's so yeah. good. I think giving back is really important. My parents taught me that at a very early age. Exactly. Volunteering. It's one thing to write a check, which I do, but it's another thing to actually go and physically do painting or whatever it is, you know, like actually volunteering your physical time is something I learned from a very early age from my parents. Absolutely. We have a heart for service over here as well. And you and I have talked about that. Before. Yeah. Amazing. So any way that we can ever help you. Our podcast is designed with purpose, but our nonprofit, our 501c3 nonprofit is also designed with purpose. 
So we not only, you know, help kids and families in needs by helping create well spaces or healing spaces for them, but we also, the resources or funds that we use and our time, we also donate to other organizations. So if you ever need our help, please, we've talked already about sharing yeah. resources, but let's connect yeah, and figure definitely. out ways to help each other. We would love, love to of what you have going on. Absolutely. And then I guess, you know, the, the last thing that, that we're curious about, it, you've got so much going on. Where is Linda Murray Inc. heading next? Well, I'm in the middle of developing, uh, there's a couple of producers that are from actually the Beverly Hills Housewives. The producers of that show are developing a show for me. So we're in development on a show, not like a reality Beverly Hills Housewives show, but something very specific to me and my company. And I don't know if you know, I'm a pilot and I play polo and I do those things, whatever. So, so and just kind of incorporating all of that into like the business that I have built and and sort of my niche, which is, I don't know if you also know this, but I design mostly for men, high net worth men, single men. I did not know this. Yeah. I have a single sister that you know. Ah, okay. That's good. <laughs> Not me to check her out. So yeah, I've had this like long career of working for very powerful men. I don't just work for men, but I've had a long history of that. And so I have sort of a different perspective. So they're going to kind of develop a show around that. That's so really that, interesting. That's yeah. like a whole separate podcast. It's a whole separate, yeah. <laughs> Designing. It's a whole yesterday. separate thing. I'm excited about that and just, you know, I have some deals, branding deals, brewing with furniture and I, I have a deal at the rug company. They're selling my rugs now. And so just things like that, that we're still continuing to kind of expand on and while I Great. design the homes that I'm designing. <laughs> for you. Well, I had a little stint in the licensing business for quite a while. So if you ever need to bounce anything off of us or I'll take you up on that. Do a little bit of consulting on for some people in, in the home decor business. Oh, so, nice. Great. Licensing and, and developing products. So please reach out if you ever. If you're I ever. will. Yeah, I'll take you up on that for sure. Because I'm very um, new to that. It's an interesting business to be in. So, yeah, I think so. How can people reach you? How do you... Um, so our Instagram is, it's LMID Inc. At LMID Inc. Obviously, my, my website is lm-id.com. My email is linda at lm-id.com. Linda with a Y. So if anyone wants to reach out to me directly, they can. I'll answer any question if I can. And we're always open to helping wherever we can, especially with the charity stuff. So that's really, really important to me. So I definitely will c continue to connect with you on that for sure. Oh, for sure. I appreciate that. We would really like you to be involved with Design with Purpose. That would be just something else. And if I love that. Colton will connect with your Instagram guru later and maybe she can give us a follow. We're just setting up our, our Instagram account over there, launching a few things, which I'll, I'll keep you informed of, but she could follow us there and then on Duffick Design. And we'd like to stay connected with you socially and help us kind of get awareness out for our nonprofit. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. But you've been great today. We're that's kind of the, the end of our questions, but I really just enjoyed chatting with you. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it as well. You're thank awesome. You really you've, you've got so much going for you and have done so much. I also did I read that you did the um are still working on it, the the set for Avatar or 
I did. We designed the studio where they're where they've filmed all the sequels. There's going to be three sequels that they're filming simultaneously. So I worked personally for Jim Jim Cameron, the director, and John Landau, the producer, and we designed the studio. So that's in in it's not Orange County. It's off of Rosecrans, Manhattan Beach. Yeah. yeah. Like I've said many times, admire your work, but mostly have followed and paid attention to your residential work. Not until mm -hmm. I was kind of preparing to talk to you, started reading everything you had going on. I was like, geez, when does she sleep? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have kids. So yeah. <laughs> same here. How was it working on that, doing the, the set design? And I would have to say that's probably the I did two jobs that I that really stand out for me, the Fairmont Miramar Hotel in Santa Monica, but but this studio was probably the biggest job I've ever done, scale-wise, and probably the most gratifying commercial thing. It was the most awesome thing working for Jim Cameron and John Landau. They're so these guys are brilliant. Like they they take smart to a whole nother the smartest person I've ever sat in a room with for sure is James Cameron. Really? Um, wow. Oh, I mean, just I mean, incredibly intellectually smart and, and very intimidating to work for, but turned out to be so kind and so gracious to me. Like I was showing him, it's a funny story. We're at 20th Century Fox because that's where he was at the time that we had to have this particular meeting. And we're in this conference room that had like 40 seats at this table. And I walked in and I've got my renderings and my, you know, printouts and stuff. And I had to get up from the table and go over by him and kind of put the, the drawings in front of him. And I kind of, I winced or I did something. He, he like looked at me like, what's the matter? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, and this is exactly my reaction. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm showing you renderings. I'm showing renderings to Jim Cameron who can do these in his sleep forward and backward. Like, you know, like they're going to look like crap to you, you know? And he was like, oh, relax. You know, he was so sweet and made like broke the ice. And like, I was like, yeah. you know, it's like Jim Cameron, you know, but he made it so comfortable and, he was so kind to me about it, you know, because he he's that talented. Like he knows everything about architecture that you can imagine from really wow hundred years ago. Yeah, like he can tell you anything about any topic. It's one of those people that just knows a lot about a lot of things. So I really had to be on my game, which was just it was awesome and challenging, but he made it really special. So that that's probably my favorite project and my favorite cool. project today. Yeah, it was cool. Well, and it helps you elevate too, you know, elevate your yeah. game when you're around people that are just that brilliant. So brilliant. So, so brilliant. And the last thing I'll tell you about that is, you know, I had it all budgeted and everything. And I said, do you want to talk numbers? You know, because I had these three different concepts and the, the biggest, the most expensive one was the one he chose, of course. And I'm like, do you want to talk budget? Because then I was thinking it's going to get quashed when he finds out how much it's going to cost. He goes, nope, just build it. Oh, nice. Like, ah, yes. Now that's what? the kind of clients we want. Yeah. <laughs> nope, just build it. I'm like, oh my God. That's so oh, cool. I love yeah. that. So you're finished? Yeah. Yeah, they're using, they, they're already editing actually now. Oh, okay. So that's way, yeah. that's further along. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It has been just such a pleasure talking with you. We appreciate yeah. you so much and appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to do this. My pleasure. My pleasure. Like I said, you and all your success as well. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. We'll definitely be back with regard to our nonprofit. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.